This is why we generally can recommend with complete confidence for almost anyone, it's going to take the complexity and break it down into the smallest manageable steps. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, when I put together the list of questions for the Ask Andrew Anything, it just occurred to me that I don't ask you any questions of things that I want to know. (laughs) Well, I think you know almost everything that you could know or that you will know about me already. Well, maybe our listeners don't know because, you know, I like Mm. to think of myself in the seat of the listeners. Mm -hmm. And what would they be asking you? Well, of course, we have several of those questions, but, you know, just random questions that just occurred to me. When you travel and you're looking for a restaurant to eat, what type of cuisine do you generally gravitate towards? Well, if I have to eat in a restaurant, it would be first choice Indian Mm -hmm. and second choice Thai. Oh, nice. So, or I guess kind of an Asian fusion Mm -hmm. would fit in there. But uh, I generally like Asian or Indian restaurants, number one, because the food. But number two, they tend to be quieter. Mm -hmm. They're not as likely to have music that's irritating and interfering with your thinking or your conversation, kind of the way a you know, a popular American restaurant chain is just so noisy. Yep. In cities that I have been to many times, because I like go to certain conventions mm-hmm. year after year, I know where the Indian restaurant ah, is. Right. Another thing is it's one of the few places you can almost always order a lamb dish, mm. which I prefer over some kind of random commercial beef that you're going to get, you know, in a steak or hamburger, which may or may not be good quality. Lamb, I think, is generally less commercial. And occasionally you can get goat, mm. uh, which tastes pretty much like lamb, just a little gamier. And then with uh, Thai, you can get really good vegetable dishes. Mm, right. And, and of course, both of those places, and most importantly- You should see the smile on you, his face, <laughs> listener. <laughs> you can put a high level of Hot, yes. like you know, in a Thai restaurant, they'll be like one to five. Okay, five, no brainer. No kidding, you go all the way up to five. Well, Andrew? yeah, and five, but one to what? ten, then you have to be a little more careful, like eight or nine. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, you know, if you go ten, then I think the cook back there is like, okay, we're just gonna stick it to him. You know, <laughs> we're gonna make him pay for this audacious <laughs> belief that he can handle Thai spicy. <laughs> But it's rare. Mm. It's rare that I get a dish that's too hot. Uh-huh. But that would be my my main preference. And then if there's nothing like that around, I would just look for quality of food. Mm-hmm. Do they serve food without added antibiotics? Like Chipotle is, mm-hmm. is decent. Chipotle is probably the 
the safest fast food. But I'll tell you these days, I hate restaurants so much that if I'm not going with someone, I'll just go to a Trader Joe's or Whole Foods or even the organic section of a supermarket, buy like an avocado, some grass-fed beef jerky, maybe some cheese, and I'll just eat that for dinner. Right. Well, there you go, listener. Now you know what Andrew Poudoua eats when he travels. Very, I have the opposite problem. <laughs> it's licensed to pig out. I love it. So I but, lose weight every single time I travel. <laughs> I, I lose probably half a pound to a pound a day when I'm gone. So if I'm gone for three days, I'll come back two to three pounds lighter. We were just talking before we turned the mics on today for this podcast, how we balance each other. <laughs> I don't know if I like this balance because when I travel, it's just the opposite. I will gain yeah, a half but, a pound you know, to a pound. You're traveling for usually festive family yes. enjoyment purposes. I'm just grinding through. You know? <laughs> I, lo I love being out there at conventions, yes. talking to people, yes. helping people. I know you do. I, I'm just really tired of airports, hotels, and mm. restaurants at this mm -hmm. point in my life. So. Yep. Okay, well, let us get into listener-submitted questions. And we actually put together some questions that have a theme this time, and that is our learning differences, mm. those students that have dyslexia, dysgraphia, some of those other things. Because this year, the year 2023, we're actually spending a little bit more time talking about how IEW helps Teachers, families, parents, students who have learning differences. Yes, I noticed. Yes. <laughs> okay, so first question. And oh, I usually have names of who asks these questions. So if this is you, listener, you will recognize your writing because I don't have your name. I'm so sorry. So spelling and writing are a big challenge for my second grade daughter. I suspect that she is dyslexic. How should I approach writing with her? How much should I push it? Well, when someone says second grade mm -hmm. and it's January, I'm thinking this kid is probably seven, plus or minus six months. And the general advice I would give to anyone with a child that age is do not be stressed. Do not compare this seven-year-old with other people's seven-year-olds. And, you know, that's a theme we've built mm -hmm. on any number of podcasts and talks that I have. I would consider the most useful thing that you could spend time on wouldn't be English composition so much as it would just be straight copy work. Yep. Building stamina. Mm -hmm. If there is a dyslexia, dysgraphia there, and, you know, We've had a few experts on, and mm -hmm. we can link to those podcasts, Susan mm -hmm. Barton, the IEDs, and their opinion is, if you think your child is dyslexic, well, they probably are. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what good does it do to worry about it or go get a expensive diagnosis or whatever? But I, I would say for children that age, it's just, you know, it's a young age, mm -hmm. and children come into reading and writing readiness at different speeds. And that's not always connected with a diagnosable thing like dyslexia. So I, I would say three things to do. One would be just copy work every day. Mm -hmm. And you can use a story. You could use scripture if you're so inclined. You could use poems. Mm -hmm. I used to write stories for my young children to copy because I would try to make it about them. I would try to make it funny. 
and they may or may not, you know, understand it all perfectly, but I would read it with them and then have them copy it. The most important guideline is be sure that what you're giving them to copy is large mm, print. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if you're using something from a book, then ideally you would have a machine at home that would enlarge, you know, an enlarging photocopy function on a multifunction printer or something. Right. Mm -hmm. So you could get it at least up to, say, 18-point font. Mm -hmm. That would be ideal. If it's smaller, it's just going to be harder. And if it's larger, it's going to be easier. Mm -hmm. The second thing regarding spelling is I would try to do as much spelling as possible with no paper involved. Just do verbal auditory practice mm -hmm. and start with three-letter words and, you know, short vowels sound outable, three-letter words. And once that's a little easier, then introduce some concept like an E at the end of the word makes the vowel mm -hmm. say its name or its long sound. You can get into blends, mm -hmm. you know, the the uh, consonant blends that are still sound outable. So, you know, just work with three and four letter words, but do most of it not by looking at paper, but by just thinking about the letters and their sounds and doing it verbally. And, you know, 10 minutes a day is probably plenty right. at that point. Mm -hmm. I would even say you could do a lot of math verbally, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. with children. If, if they're kind of mixing up letters or whatnot, there's a very good chance they're going to kind of mix up numbers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the the difference between 13 and 31 or 6 and 9 may be harder to sort through visually. Whereas I think when children do mental math mm -hmm. through verbal practice, they actually learn to think mathematically a little better. They mm -hmm. internalize it more. And then the third thing is if you've got a child who really wants to write something, write a story, write a poem, you know, write a letter, whatever, let them dictate it to you. You write down what they say on a whiteboard. And really, I've said this any number of times, if you're teaching kids at home, you really want to have a large, like six foot large whiteboard in the space where you're spending most of your time because everything will be better once you do this. In fact, I would say don't buy anything else at all ever until you have a nice large whiteboard. But if the child wants to dictate a story or something, they can dictate you can write down a few sentences, and then that can be copy work mm -hmm. for the child. So mm -hmm. I would prioritize those things in that way, copy work, verbal spelling practice, and then dictation, which the student could hopefully copy what they dictated to you. And just remember, seven years old is very young. You've got a lot of time to get them up and writing. And, and I think through all of this, they're going to enjoy this a whole lot more than being pushed because she used the word, how much should I push? And, and the idea is don't exactly. push because, you know, people have that concept like, oh, no, my kid is behind because I'm comparing this child with some other children. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we see again and again and again, you have a family with a nine-year-old, seven-year-old and a four-year-old 
And the four-year-old is the one who really wants to learn to read. Right. You know, or the seven-year-old is reading circles around the nine-year-old. Or the nine-year-old reads and the seven-year-old couldn't care less. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, just relax. It is extraordinarily rare, if not completely unheard of in my experience, for a even very dyslexic homeschool kid to actually become a teenager and not have learned to read and write mm. and spell to some degree. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. everybody learns. Mm -hmm. It just happens at different paces. Right. Good. Okay. So here's, I believe this is another homeschool mom question. My three sons all battle different levels of dyslexia, and one also has severe dysgraphia. Language arts and writing have been extremely difficult in our family, which has been challenging for this English degree, language-loving mama. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, I am that right is, there with that you, That is girl. the tough yep. part, yeah. I've wanted to use IEW materials many times, but have often felt they were way above what my sons could do. What should I start with, especially for my son starting high school next year, who has shown such aversion to writing but is an avid reader? Well, that's a great thing that this student reads well. Um, right. I mean, that's that's a blessing. You know, there are um, probably some pretty good arguments to be made that if you have a child around 13 or 14 and physically putting letters on paper with a pen is overwhelmingly frustrating, mm -hmm. teach the kid to type, probably already mm -hmm. knows how to type or mm -hmm. can at least do it to some degree, you, you probably get better typing if you use some kind of training to use the right fingers on the right keys. Although I think a super majority of people below 30 years old right now do not use the fingers on the keys the way you and I were right. taught in That's high right. school decades ago. And some of them type just as fast or faster than I do. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not sure there's a super strong argument to be made for forcing everyone to use the fingers the way we were taught. I mean, I'm grateful, but people accommodate. Mm -hmm. um, the, the thing to keep in mind, though, is if you begin to let a student type everything and they never really get enough practice of writing on paper, then they may become unable to do that with any degree of confidence or ease as an adult. Right. And I think most adults are grateful that they can write on paper. Mm -hmm. Most people would hope that their children are able to write on paper. There's obviously physical handicaps sure. that could prevent that. So the, you know, the technology will atrophy the skill it replaces. But in terms of the composition side, I would think that a student, as this person has described, would just be a lot happier trying to write mm -hmm. typing. Depending on the level of cooperativeness mm -hmm. you get from a child that age, again, uh, copywork has value. Mm -hmm. Just practicing putting letters into words and words into sentences and sentences onto paper without having to think of what to do. Right. You can copy the spelling. You can copy the punctuation. You can copy the sentence. You can copy the idea. And, you know, that has a lot of value regardless of age. Right. It's just, it seems a lot easier to do that as children are younger and it gets a little bit harder as they get older because there's that pushback. Mm -hmm. And, you know, depending on this uh, student's 
experience with other things, such as sports、mm. or music or you know anything that requires a discipline. You know, sometimes you just have to do, you know, your push-ups, sit-ups, dribble drills, wind sprints, whatever, if you want to get better at the sport itself. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I would try to frame this for the student in the same way. This isn't fun. It's not sexy. It's not interesting. But if you do it, you get stronger, and that'll be a good thing later in life. They may or may not buy into that idea、mm-hmm. at thirteen、mm-hmm. years old. Right.、So. So I'm also going to chime in with a couple of recommendations as far as what products, yeah, you might want to use, and I think of a high school student who has some learning challenges. We have our courses basically categorized into three different groupings: level A, which the reading level is grades three to five; level B, which the reading level is grades six to eight; and level C, which is high school, and that's grades nine and up, and Our level B materials may be exactly what you would find really helpful for your son,、um, the high school student. There's nothing in there that says this is for junior high. Oh yeah, we have teenagers、yeah. using the level B materials all the time. Yeah, or even all the way down to level A. Yeah. But the nice thing about the the level one B SSS structure and style for students year one level B. Premier package. I'm going to recommend that one because it has Fixit grammar in it, which has built-in copy work,、mm-hmm. and it has the teaching, writing, structure, and style teacher training course. And so that way, the parents learn the methodology themselves. The teachers learn the methodology, so they can make adjustments as needed. You could also do one of our theme-based books, history-based writing lessons, U.S. history, modern world history, or Rather than going to、uh, fix it, that goes with the one B, which is the third level of fix it. Maybe you want to go all the way down to the first level, and it doesn't say this is not for high school. This is where you are at in your grammar, and like I said, there's built in, and the exercises are short. There's not a lot of stretching, but there's just enough. It's just the、yeah. right amount. We could also note that usually kids who are in this category,、mm-hmm. they don't like writing in part because they are not confident about spelling. Yes, and so there's that hesitancy if they have to write a word they don't know how to spell, and if there's a lot of words they don't know how to spell, it's kind of a a negative feedback loop. So, obviously, giving them the freedom. To write it the best they can and then fix it later、yep. is something you know. I'm always stressing in the video courses and whatnot.、Yep. But the Excellence in Spelling program,、mm-hmm. the Phonetic Zoo, is an auditory-based、mm-hmm. approach to teaching spelling, which helps a lot, especially with kids who are likely to visually be still mixing things up a bit,、yep. or kids who have not had good success with some kind of spelling. Workbook or paper-based approach. Yep,、uh, this will give auditory input with high repetition. So, you know, that's another product that someone could look、yeah. at there. Okay, I have another question for you. This one it's going to sound a little more complicated, but I think you can track here. We have a highly gifted and dyslexic.、Mm-hmm. Put that together, and that's called. Stealth dyslexia. Have you ever heard of that before? I have not heard of stealth dyslexia. I have heard of twice exceptional. Oh, okay. 
right? Okay, there you go. Well, I, I like that stealth dyslexia. Okay. Yeah. It presents most often with a high capacity for reading, but extreme difficulty with written output, which actually sounds like a question that we had earlier. We tried IEW when my son was in the fourth grade. He was reading at a high school level, but he could not do any of the writing, including simple keyword outlines without full assistance. However, now that my son is 12, he is able to work through IEW-1B with minimal help, oh, which is superb. fabulous. How, yeah. how delightful. The structure is so helpful for him because it gives him a starting place. I'm curious to other ways in which IEW is well-suited for those with learning differences. Well, we've done several podcasts mm -hmm. on explaining why mm -hmm. what we do works. Right. Whether the problem is dyslexia or dysgraphia or ADD or you know, spectrum issues or auditory processing, you know, those neurological conditions can oftentimes just make the whole process of writing seem too complex, too overwhelming, yeah. too many things to have to do at once. Right. And so, you know, this is why we generally can recommend with complete confidence for almost anyone, it's going to take the complexity and break it down into the smallest possible manageable steps. And then the parent or teacher needs to follow the guideline of give as much help as necessary. Mm -hmm. And don't expect even those small steps to be instantly independent. Yep. And to follow the principle that to create independence, you give enough help so that there uh, gradually builds a, a up to a critical mass of information and experience of doing it together and confidence. Yep. And then at some point, the child will say, okay, I got it. Right. You know, leave me alone. I can do this. Right. But we don't want to have, um, you know, an expectation that that's going to happen according to our desired mm -hmm. schedule. Right. <laughs> it will happen at the rate that student grows um, and kids are all different. Yep. Well, thank you, Andrew. Okay. So can I use IEW for my child with autism? who struggles with writing, spelling, and articulating thoughts, poor memory, but he's already graduated public high school? Well, the answer is yes, but. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> you know, a student in that age really has to be motivated, self-motivated. I, I mean, I don't know too many parents who could take a, you know, 17, 18-year-old kid and boss them around too successfully. Mm -hmm. So that's why it would be probably best for you, know, you to maybe listen to some of our podcasts mm -hmm. on special circumstances and see if that hits a resonance mm -hmm. with that student. Um, you know, if this kid is thinking, well, you know, I'm going to take a year off, but maybe I'll go to college. Well, we have any number, I mean, countless people who found our stuff while they were in college and said, wow, this is really going to help me be more organized and write my papers better and mm -hmm. be successful. Or, yep. you know, we have, you know, people in their midlife who said, oh, I'd only learned this when I was younger. Mm -hmm. If the student, on the other hand, is saying, no, I have no interest in academic what I want to do is learn a trade, mm -hmm. which is actually one of the better career options in many cases <laughs> yes, these days. Yes. You know, if you, you become a, you know, a good plumber or a welder mm -hmm. or electrician or something, mm -hmm. you you can 
do very, very well. Mechanic, mm-hmm. auto mechanics mm-hmm. make more than school teachers, right? Mm-hmm. So this idea uh, you know, of what's he thinking about what he wants to do mm-hmm. and how does spending the sweat, time, energy, effort to do something that's not going to be easy or fun you know is that necessary or to what degree is it a benefit right now right you know the other thing is i think it's really good for kids honestly i don't think anyone would benefit hugely from going straight from high school into college i think a lot of people would benefit from taking a year or two mm-hmm. getting a regular job working full time with with adults for a couple years get a sense of you know what is that like and do they like that job and what they're doing? Would they want to learn more enough to do that more successfully? Or maybe, no, I don't like this. I should go into something else. So I think a couple years of real life experience and maturing helps a young person then maximize that investment they're going to make of time and a lot of money in the college experience. Okay. This one uh, a little bit younger. I think we've got uh, time for maybe one more question. Our child has some reading comprehension challenges. After reading the source text, we work together to create the keyword outline. Good job. But it's difficult for her to recall information to write even after creating the keyword outline. Any suggestions? It would be helpful to know the age mm-hmm. of this child, but generally this would get the diagnosis of use slightly simpler source texts. Mm -hmm. So in the TWSS, I say again and again and again, source texts should be at or preferably below Mm -hmm. the reading level of the student. Right. So if the words are unfamiliar or the sentences are too long or the concepts are a little too abstract, Mm -hmm. then you wouldn't want to use that for a writing project. Right. Um, so maybe, you know, if you're using our level B material, you would do better to look at the level A, mm-hmm. slightly lower reading level. Yep. We teach the same stuff. Mm-hmm. We teach the same models and techniques and the system is the same. But what varies mostly is the length and complexity of the source text. Yep. Or if this child is on the young side already in the level A, yep. and that's a tough one, well, maybe back up and look at, Bible heroes or people in places in the community or Mm -hmm. whatnot. Mm -hmm. You know, there can be other causes of reading comprehension issues, which is generally going to be in that zone of short-term memory. I just don't remember what I heard a minute ago. And that's not an easier magic fix. But what I do know for a fact is that Doing keyword outlines and telling back contact will improve reading comprehension. And you just said something, telling back content. I wonder if this teacher has skipped that step Mm. because that's a big part of comprehension is now they're not writing. They're just telling back from the keyword outline. And that doesn't stop in unit one or two. Yeah, That can go all the way up. And, you know, one other thing, and and again, we don't know the age of the student, but at a certain point... It's funny because there's a a point before this where kids don't know the meaning of a word and they just ignore the fact that they don't know the meaning of the Mm. word and they won't say Mm. 
What does that mean? Then they go through a kind of a sensitive period where they will ask, what does that mean, right? Mm -hmm. But then they get beyond that, and now they figure, well, I'm supposed to already know what everything means, and since I don't, I'm not going to ask because that's awkward and embarrassing and uncomfortable, so I'm going to pretend. And so some of the reading comprehension problems that can happen, and I think that unwittingly certain school environments have promoted this idea of make an inference, i.e. Mm. guess at the mm-hmm. meaning of words, mm-hmm. which, you know, you can see why people would suggest that, but it's a sloppy thing. And I don't think it long-term helps. I think it would be better if teachers would say, well, if you see a word you don't know, ask or use some device to find out what that means. Don't let words just go by and guess Mm -hmm. because that contributes to a sloppy, careless approach to reading. Mm -hmm. And um, I worked for a while in an organization that had a school and I was working part-time in the school. And that was like an absolute rule is that if anybody ever saw a word and they did not know what it meant, the first thing you would do, you'd drop everything, is get a dictionary. This was pre-internet days. (laughs) Get a dictionary and find out what that word means and don't go past it Mm -hmm. because if you go past it with a fuzzy understanding, then your understanding of everything that comes after is going to likely be affected by that fuzziness. Exactly. And so that was like a policy Mm -hmm. of the school and the teacher. I mean, even adults would follow this rule. And Mm -hmm. so, no, I think, you know, there's a a time and a place for everything. But I do know that that habit of stopping to look at the meaning of words to be sure I'm clear on that was really a great benefit for me ever since I, you know, I was working there in my mid to late 20s. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, Andrew, I love these Ask Andrew Anything podcasts. I love that no matter what I throw at you, you seem to have the answer that will perfectly suit, or maybe not for this listener, many others who are listening to what we're well, dealing out know, today. We've been doing this for a long time, yes. <laughs> and that gives us the blessing yes. of having looked at, you know, a huge, huge numbers of kids and parents and circumstances over periods of time, yep. hearing problems, then hearing testimonials, putting those all together to better serve the yep. families and teachers that we can. And that's what we're here to do. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. Or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Here you can also find show notes and relevant links from today's broadcast. One last thing. Would you mind going to iTunes to rate and review our podcast? This really helps other smart, caring listeners like you find us. Thanks so much.